Put it there, boy. We'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. Welcome back to General Strike Radio on K-Wing 97.7. Um, shout out to Mass Liberation and all of the other wonderful voices of reason and um, all of the organizers and activists and wonderful folks that we have on this community radio station. Um, and it's a great platform to have for uh, our community and uh, the people around town who are trying to make a difference in the world and around Reno. So very thankful to be here. And that was Woody Guthrie with All You Fascists Bound to Lose. Um, not many people know that Woody Guthrie was a radical. Uh, who would have thought that the man who wrote This Land is Your Land uh, was a card-carrying red? So <laughs> I thought that was an appropriate song to play um, as sort of a message to all of the right-wingers who have sort of been emboldened by this uh, siege of, on the Capitol and uh, obviously the police who are complicit um, in that act, which we now know based on footage and all the numerous news reports including the one uh, that just came out today. Uh, Representative Ayanna Presley told the Boston Globe that when she um, went into hiding during the siege, um, there was uh, no panic button. So all the different offices uh, for our representatives have panic buttons to let, obviously, the people who are hired to protect our representatives, uh, the ones who were complicit in the attack, apparently, um, to let them know that there's danger and her buttons were removed. Curious. So, <laughs> uh, seems like an inside job if you ask me. But anyway, um, speaking of the siege on the Capitol and the news surrounding it, um, it's worth noting that the economic dimensions involved, uh, how Trumpism is not, didn't come out of nowhere. Um, and it certainly is not the disease itself, but a symptom of the disease. Well, what is that disease? Um, economic inequality is a major aspect of that. Why does right-wing populism arise? Why does fascism begin to seem appealing to the working class, people who would not benefit from fascism at all? And it's there's sort of a debate going on on the left right now uh, as to who are these characters that conducted the siege on the Capitol. And obviously there are those who say, oh, it's a bunch of rednecks, it's a bunch of hillbillies. And funny enough, you hear at the beginning of you, All You Fascists Bound to Lose, Woody Guthrie says, let's show them what a couple of hillbillies can do. There was a time when being a hillbilly meant you were Antifa. <laughs> How funny is that? Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, really, what one should take note of is the fact that all these people who conducted the siege on the Capitol uh, were able to take the day off or were able to afford a flight to Washington, D.C. Uh, so who were these people? Well, probably the petite bourgeoisie, who is the heart and soul of fascism throughout history, small business owners. Uh, so was it a bunch of TGI Fridays franchise owners uh, busting the windows of the Capitol and stealing uh, documents off of Nancy Pelosi's desk? I don't know. But <laughs> I have a hard time believing uh, a bunch of janitors and preschool teachers were there um, <laughs> busting those windows. But anyway, enough of uh, that, because you've probably heard enough about it. Um, it... <laughs> Anyway, speaking of failures of neoliberal austerity, uh, it's not just going on in the United States. And I wanted to talk again about the general strike that took place in India in November because the Modi government in India has conducted uh, kind of the same measures as uh, Donald Trump and people like Boris Johnson, um, Erdogan in Turkey, elsewhere, all these sort of right wing strongman figures. And what austerity means is you are conducting mass privatizations of public utilities, you're cutting wages, you are um, pretty much dismantling the social welfare state. And the, the reason I wanted to bring up the Indian general strike 
is that the Western media isn't talking about it at all. And I find it very irritating that this 250 million people uh, took to the streets, blocked traffic, all these different groups from labor unions to farm worker groups. Um, there's even a group, SCWA, the Self-Employed Women's Association, uh, with over a million members, about a million and a half members that took, took part in this uh, massive general strike. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because we could do the same exact thing here why don't we have these groups? Why don't we have a self-employed union out here for self-employed workers? I mean, it's obviously India's population is much larger than ours. So they can say, oh, we have a million members and it isn't as impressive, I guess, on paper. But at the same time, um, looking at all these diverse groups that united under the message, we are sick of austerity measures. We want to challenge the Modi government. There's no reason why we couldn't do the same here. Um, there were 10 central unions involved, 300 farm worker organizations. The Communist Party of India was spearheading it. And uh, you can look at the footage yourself. It's extremely impressive, and it's, uh, it warms the cockles of my heart uh, to see something like that happen. And that's kind of a message of hope, I suppose, um, because in these times, we should all aspire to challenge these injustices um, that are occurring right now, as well as the counter-revolutions, the counter-revolutionaries, the reactionaries, these people that we saw storming the Capitol. They're not going anywhere after Joe Biden is sworn in. There's just a sort of liberal fantasy that as soon as the Biden government is uh, sworn in and made official, that all of a sudden all of these hateful Nazi fascist types are just going to disappear. It's not going to happen. So how do we organize ourselves in a way to challenge economically, socially, uh, these sort of evil forces in our culture? And I think unions have to be a huge part of that. Labor has to be at the forefront of this. And that is sort of my message to the AFL-CIO, the dominant labor federation in this country, has the most members. Um, they have to be, I should say, we have to be as a member of an AFL-CIO union, um, we have to be at the forefront of this fight for justice. Because if you look at history, there was never a time where workers' rights did not intertwine with civil rights. And if we are to be considered um, relevant in these times, we have to be able to acknowledge that if we don't get to the front lines as the working class and protect the most vulnerable people in our communities, then we are complicit in whatever happens, just like we would be complicit in what happened at the Capitol, as the Capitol Police were. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's also why um, the AFL-CIO building was vandalized during the George Floyd uh, uprisings. Well, we protect cops. That's a whole discussion labor has to have. Why are we protecting police officers, a class of workers who have traditionally been uh, let, let loose on strikers, have killed people, uh, have taken part in lynchings. Why are they even in the labor movement? Are they in the labor movement? That's a discussion we have to have, but we don't have time for that today. Um, one last sort of glimmering uh, beacon of light in these dark times is that Google workers organized a union of their own, which is massive. This is a, one of the largest um, companies in general, but like as far as the, the tech sector is concerned, it's a massive story that Google workers have organized. They're calling themselves the Alphabet Workers Union. And they actually had an interview in Jacobin, which is a fantastic news outlet. If you have not read it, I uh, highly encourage you to. Um, they are calling for what they are, they're calling it democracy at work. They want democracy at work. So applying the principles of de democratic politics 
to the workplace, which we say, and in theory, we vote for our representatives and they listen to what we say and do what we want. Why do we go to work and essentially live in a totalitarian situation? We give the best hours of most of our days to a job, which is <laughs> totalitarian. It's authoritarian. We don't have a say in how the workplace functions. We don't get to vote for who our bosses are. So it's. I thought it was just an interesting way to phrase um, their goals as the Alphabet Workers Union is what they're calling themselves. So it was last week at Google. Um, they announced they were forming this union. Like I said, it's a major step for tech workers, especially um, at Google, obviously, but also because white-collar workers, people who work in offices, people who are tech workers, um, they're, they're traditionally hard to organize. They have relatively comfortable jobs, even though they're getting exploited the same as any blue-collar worker. They're just harder to organize because they're not getting screwed over <laughs> just up front. So it's just massive that Google workers said, no, we've had enough. We want workplace democracy. And uh, I hope that their struggle can inspire more white-collar workers to sign on with the labor movement and figure out that they, too, share um, the sort of <laughs> exploitative position or exploited position, I should say, um, that their blue collar brothers and sisters um, have. So in this episode, speaking of blue collar workers, I'm going to be interviewing Gary Watson, the president of Teamsters Local 533. And uh, we're going to talk about what's been going on with RTC and um, the really sort of haphazard safety measures that has been taken by the busing industry out here in Reno and what they are going to do about it. So in a little bit, we will give him a call. Um, for right now, we're going to play some Billy Bragg, Never Cross a Picket Line. 500 men sacked for refusing to ever cross a picket line. Voices down the ages warning, never cross a picket line. You must never cross a picket line. Look away, look away. 
Welcome back to K-Wink 97.7. You're listening to General Strike Radio, and we are about to have a uh, hopefully productive and um, educational discussion with Gary Watson, the president of Local 533 of the Teamsters, and we'll be calling him right now. Welcome to General Strike Radio on K-Wink 97.7. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Just wanted to start off by asking you... um, how uh, did you come to be in the labor movement, first and foremost? And then how did you come to be the president of one of the locals of uh, one of the more well-known unions in the country? Uh, I appreciate this opportunity, Adam. Uh, Gary Watson, Teamsters Local 533, uh, president of the local here. I um, started out in the labor movement in 1997, working through uh, United Parcel Service. Uh, as a part-timer, I, I worked my way up into a full-time package uh, driver for United Parcel Service. I also worked for another company here in town that was a, a Teamsters craft as well, which was called Loose and Sun. Uh, they delivered uh, uh, Miller products, um, uh, um, beer. And at that point, I became a uh, shop steward uh, within my early in my career. And when I um, throughout UPS, I ended up being a chief steward. Um, in the package uh, department, um, I was elected to uh, recording secretary uh, through Teamsters Local 533 in 2009 for the executive board. And in 2011, I was elected as the uh, president of the local. All right. That's fantastic. I always like to start off by asking people, you know, how did you come to be uh, involved in unions and whatnot? Because everybody has a different background and some people are born into it. Other people discover it as they start working. Um, But thank you again so much, Gary, for uh, being on the show. Again, we're talking to Gary Watson, president of Teamsters Local 533. You can't see me right now, Gary, but I actually have a uh, Teamsters 533 shirt on right now that I got from a thrift store. (laughs) So uh, wearing it inside. You come by the hall We'll get you a new one, man. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll be there. I just wanted to wear it in solidarity. Um, obviously, I support the Teensters and, and have a tremendous amount of respect for, for everything that you guys do and what's going on. But anyway, let's get into sort of the meat and potatoes of what's going on. So 
there's been reports in This Is Reno. There have been reports in Reno Gazette Journal, sort of all the different outlets discussing how RTC and Kilos North America, which I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, the sort of con- contractor. Is that correct? Kill us. Okay. I was like uh, writing my notes today and thinking, oh my God, I know I'm going to mispronounce this. But anyway, um, so they are the contractor for the Washoe Regional Transportation Commission. And they have just sort of had this bubblegum and duct tape approach to the COVID 19 situation. So can you kind of uh, just explain for our listeners uh, just briefly, because we'll get into more detail as we go on, but what's going on? What's happening? I, I think you. I think you hit it right on the, the the nail on the coffin right there, man, with the the bubble gum and duct tape approach, um, and that's that's essentially uh, what what is part of the issue here is uh, back in June, our governor uh, Sisolak issued a, a, a mandate for uh, you know the public to you know to wear masks while you're out in public, and the bus contractor and the RTC Washoe have um, you know, I believe failed our community on that aspect. They have signs posted on the buses, on the outside of the buses with some emojis and basically show you that, uh, you know, you got to wear a mask to ride the bus. Um, but that is false advertisement that they have posted. Um, you know, my members and bus operators over there will clearly tell you that the, the, the rule over there is to ask once and let them ride. So basically... Um, if they don't have a mask on, they can ride on the bus without one. Um, during peak hour times on certain routes and heavy traffic areas for employees getting off of work or headed to the grocery store, whatever they're using the public transportation for, these buses are packed. Um, there's no social distancing on them. And even when there is no social distancing in these peak hours, um, some of these people refuse to wear masks on, on the bus. Um, after them basically just getting off of work, which I assume most of their employers where they're getting off of work require the mask as well. Uh, but when they get on the bus, they're, they're taking the mask off. And that was, it was fascinating reading all these different reports and these different news outlets and thinking, I was just thinking to myself, it's, it sounds like they have the same policies that they have at restaurants and bars where as soon as you're inside, you can just take your mask off. And I thought in, in one of them, um, this uh, Reno Gazette Journal, or no, it was a This Is Reno report, I believe from uh, July 24th was the last update. But there's a quote from you in this that I thought was, uh, it just sort of explains everything. Um, so ask it, the whole comparison between busing and bars and whatnot. Well, w- you said, show me a local bar that serves 20,000 people a day. And you called the vehicles the rolling equivalent of Petri dish ocean liners. <laughs> and I thought that was so perfect. Um, so what has been the response, uh, I mean, from the rank and file? Uh, I mean, how did you guys first start getting having, like, discussions about this and um, becoming aware and, and starting to organize? What were the first steps, is, uh, I guess, in addressing this problem? What did that look like? I, I mean... The, the steps in addressing the problem is, you know, we, we ended up, uh, you know, the, we filed a grievance on this process, um, you know, and the Keyless and uh, essentially RTC, because we've obtained some uh, emails through uh, uh, FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, um, basically laughed at our grievance. 
um, for the mask mandate of the passengers. Um, so they weren't very receptive to it. Uh, the, the grievance ended up, uh, it's at the arbitration stage right now. Uh, we've had numerous dates of arbitration. Uh, Keolis has refused to um, arbitrate. The arbitrator, we were actually supposed to be in arbitration over this case yesterday on Tuesday. And Keolis is maintaining that they have to meet in person instead of a instead of virtually well we got the arbitrator to make a decision that uh, he has to rule on how we're going to hold the arbitration and the arbitrator ruled that the arbitration can ha- can be um, held virtually and he gave them four dates uh, to pick uh, February 3rd 4th and 9th I believe were the dates offhand so hopefully we get into uh, one of those four dates and hold our virtual arbitration over this matter and come to a uh, resolution within that arbitration. I, I would be, I'm sure the company is going to balk at those dates that the arbitrator put out there to try to uh, stall the process even more. Uh, we also have a uh, federal lawsuit um, against uh, Keyless Transit regarding this matter as well that's in federal court. We haven't been in front of the judge yet on this matter. Um, part of the lawsuit before was them refusing to arbitrate the matter. And now uh, it's basically on the aspect of uh, requiring uh, the passengers to wear masks on the bus. I mean, you go into a restaurant, go into a grocery store, you got to wear a mask. Why aren't we um, doing the same here on, on the buses? Right. And it, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to anybody, I guess, with a uh, functional brain. <laughs> Why in an enclosed area during a pandemic, um, this, the RTC would be so lax about not <laughs> forcing the people riding the bus to wear masks. It's just like, it boggles the mind. And so just, I guess, just I, to cl- oh, I'm sorry, what? No, I was just gonna say, I have operators that are getting written up for actually you know, telling passengers they need to wear a mask. They're getting in trouble for it. It's just, it's so asinine. And I, and you had told me that uh, two dozen members have been infected with COVID-19 at this point. Is it still at that number or is it, has it grown? Uh, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. The company is refusing to share information with uh, the Teamsters at this point. They're being very vague and untruthful to the media in, in our opinion. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming that number, you know, has grown, you know, since the that, since the last time I gave, you know, that number out where it was roughly around two dozen. So I can't pinpoint on an exact number of what it is. And we have information requests out there from uh, Tequilas to provide information to us. They're refusing to provide information to us. We have uh, we have board charges with the National Labor Relations Board against them. I think roughly right around. 10 or 12 right now filed against them, labor charges. Uh, we have, uh, you know, 30 pending arbitrations against this company for numerous different, um, you know, grievances that were filed. Uh, they're just a very anti-worker employer, and that's been their agenda. And in our belief, the RTC is right behind them in this aspect. 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, I'm just looking at some of the different uh, articles that were published for the past several months. Uh, Labor Relations Board orders bus contractor to stop withholding COVID-19 safety information from union members. This was published in November and uh, of last year, and, and yet uh, <laughs> there's still withholding information regarding people uh, getting sick, what's going on, and uh, just looking at uh, your email that you sent me earlier, uh, 30 pending arbitrations. And like you said, all these different charges filed with the National Labor Relations Board. It just seems criminal (laughs) at this point that they're even allowed to operate. It's just astounding. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been hearing from other, you know, different unions, um, you know, around the country, whether it's uh, um, like railroad unions. Uh, the Amalgamated Transit Union, other Teamster locals that they've had problems around the country with Keolis as well. Um, I do know in L.A., um, at a Teamster local down there, Local 848, um, they had one of their operators terminated. Um, she just came back from breast cancer um, surgery, and a passenger got on the bus there, and she you know, asked um, for them to wear a mask, and she ended up getting terminated. It's it's just disgusting. Foothill Transit um, is the is the transit agency down there for Teamsters Local Eight Forty Eight. Mm-hmm. I believe they have that on the website too. Gotcha. And it's interesting that when you when I've been reading these different reports, uh, their response RTC um, the Washo RTC has been pretty much in denial about all of this. <laughs> so what has been like I guess uh, across this whole this spectrum of from the beginning to right now. Has it just have they just been consistently in denial about what they've been doing, what they're exposing workers to? What what has been their sort of I guess PR? Oh. Yeah, I mean, even the city of Reno had a had a meeting on it. It was brought up. You know, obviously the the RTC board is made up of two Reno city council people, uh, two uh, two Washoe County commission uh, people, and one Sparks uh, council person and. Reno had this topic with them and they were the letters that they sent out were basically denial and um, masks are required on the bus. And even, you know, councilwoman, uh, Jarden, uh, I think she put it on the record. If I recall, no mask, no right. That's what they're, that's what they're operating by, which isn't true. Right. It's, it's, uh, they can say that all they want, but if they don't enforce it, it's like a joke, you know, which it seems like that's the case because they'll have all these signs up, you know, oh, yeah, no mask, no ride. Um, but I think I read somewhere they are only – I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're hiding behind it. And I can tell you that we, we don't just represent bus drivers here at, you know, RTC Washoe, um, whether it's paratransit drivers or the fixed city route um, services. I mean, we represent them in Carson City. Um, through different agencies, and we, re- we represent them up in, um, you know, South Lake Tahoe through different agencies, and most of them have relaxed services on on the buses. They're not charging fares. They're loading them. They're loading passengers through the rear door, and they're using their CARES Act money to not charge fares. And they're keeping and it's roped off to even get even near the driver at the front door. Obviously, when they have, you know, ADA passengers, they have to load them through the front. So that's the, the only 
um, thing on that in, in those agencies is when they're loading them through the front as if they're, you know, in a wheelchair or something to that matter where they have to load through the front and, and utilize the, the mobility devices to get into the bus. Wow. And that's, <laughs> and I guess in, in thinking about this, like you've, you've mentioned all these different areas where the Teamsters have, are representing drivers, um, are, they're experiencing the same situation essentially with their employers. Is there any chance of a national Teamsters, uh, I guess, demonstration or anything to address this uh, organizing campaign? H- have you been in talks with any other Teamsters locals about like, hey, we need to do something big because this is this is bigger than just our individual cities? Um, yeah, there's there's talks going on. Um, you know, at this point, there's you know nothing to release at this point on that aspect of it of where it's at. So on on any discussions. Gotcha. And I guess like I, I always like to ask questions specifically about the the sort of process of approaching management because a lot of people who want to organize a union and they want to get involved in the labor movement, they just don't know where to start. And it's really terrifying. You know, in, in speaking from personal experience, when you first kind of get into learning about your rights as a worker and like, you know, the labor movement history of the United States, how violent and like how much how many how, how many people have sacrificed so much to get to where we are today as workers. I, I just wanted to ask, like when you first started approaching RTC and Keolis, uh, sort of how did you approach it and what was their initial response? Was it always, no, we're not doing anything wrong or uh, you're just complaining? How did that whole situation play out? It was combative, uh, basically. They, you know, hid behind, um, you know, ADA stuff, homelessness, in the in the governor's uh, directive on the on the mask issue, so um, that was basically pretty you know combative. Not let's you know let's collaborate and work together so we can figure this out. Um, it it just wasn't uh, and it hasn't been you know I can tell you Keolis has been the operator of this bus company since seven uh, one of nineteen. They took over the contract and it's been combative ever since. You know, they, 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 they operate, they do three bids a year over there and the company hasn't done one bid correctly yet. So strategically, they're probably doing it on purpose. Yeah. And that's, it seems almost universal at this point that employers are using aspects of the pandemic, uh, as an excuse to just mistreat workers. Like I was just talking to some paramedics in the last episode who are, have organized and they are hopefully getting their first contract signed soon. And they said similar things. Oh, well, uh, you know, we can't have more staff. The nurses told me the same exact thing. National Nurses United. Oh, you can't have more staff because, uh, you know, we can't afford it because of blah, 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 with all the, the stuff going on with the pandemic, finances, ADA stuff. And, it's just it's just really gross uh, i think we can we can all agree um it's it's just manipulative um but anyway i wanted to kind of ask you also about how you are currently as president communicating with uh the rank and file of the teamsters how you guys make decisions as far as how in organize what an organized response looks like when you are interacting with these hostile <laughs> the employers as hostile as keol it's an rtc well, right now it's a little difficult, um, obviously with the pandemic and all, and you know social distancing and and everything else. And you know, one of the main things that's one of the biggest issues that we have is we also have labor charges filed against Kielos because they are refusing to allow the union access to the property right now um, without being surveillance. So, I mean, that's 
obviously tells you something right there. Why do they want to surveillance me while I'm on property? Because there's obviously something to hide, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, there's, there's, like, so we have board charges that of you know them allowing uh, the union agents on property um, and everything else. We have language in our contract for it, but now they're they're telling us that uh, that we have to be surveillance when we're there. Wow. And that's in, uh, in in the pandemic because we've all had to sort of adjust to not being able to go out and get a coffee or beer or whatever with our fellow workers or our friends, et cetera. Um, what does communication right now look like within Teamsters Local 533 and, and perhaps beyond that, um, whether it's engagement with the CLC? What does it look like to be sort of a, a labor institution at this point in time how do you communicate how do you keep the rank and file abreast about what's going on um just sort of advice i suppose for people who are either trying to organize or trying to keep it together a lot of it's emails um right now uh, we're communicating with the clc with our uh with our pr uh guy and a lot of it's going through emails with um or direct communication you know either you know, phone calls, text messages with shop stewards, emails, because uh, the, the stewards are the shop stewards are the leaders there at the on site in the workplace. So that that's basically where a lot of that communication is coming from. It, it's not. Um, I, I wouldn't say that aspect isn't too difficult because um, it's you know pretty easy to communicate um, through uh, text messages, emails, phone calls, or you know sometimes through social media when we're posting stuff. Gotcha. And that sort of uh, segues nicely into my next question, which is what has been the community response and how have you kept in, in touch with the community at large, whether, you know, it, uh, most of us uh, in, the, in the Reno area and elsewhere are not really up to date on what's going on with labor relations and sort of the labor movement as a whole and unions and whatnot. So I guess the question is, what is your preferred method of keeping in touch with the community and keeping us all updated about what's going on? Um, and in if that has been such like a successful outreach uh, campaign, what has been the response from the community when you tell them, Hey, uh, our, our drivers are getting sick and there's no uh, real regulation of um, masks or, or sanitation or any kind of like health and safety precautions on these buses that you're riding. Yeah. I, I applaud, uh, you know, Mike Pilsker and um, the CLC um, for, for bringing a lot of attention to this matter throughout the community um, which which he has and is constantly in contact with the Teamsters and um, trying to figure out ways to you know resolve this whether it's you know locally, state or federally. Um, you know we have that aspect and I and I applaud the um, you know the 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 city officials that have um, reached out and you know wanted more information on this matter to try to help fix this problem as well. So there there has been some some aspects there to to bring attention to the to the mask mandate and trying to get masks um, mandated on the buses for all the passengers but it's you know it's it's never enough we always need we always need more and we always need more more help in that aspect to to push that um as you know it's just a it's a it's a it's a challenge and you know, to, to get that to the to a head and, and hopefully get some meetings scheduled with people to try to resolve that. 
Yeah, definitely. I have so much respect for Mike. Um, he's For those of you who are listening, uh, 97.7 K-Wink uh, Community Radio in Reno, you're listening to General Strike Radio. Um, and Mike Pilcher, for those of you who don't know, is the president of the Central Labor Council. So when you hear us say CLC, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> and uh, I guess my next question uh, kind of has to do with the same same thing, um, which is using this community radio as a platform. What would you like the community to know about your situation as a, a worker and, and a labor leader? And what can the community do to help the Teamsters in this struggle? Is is there any chance of even just bringing you guys coffee, whatever we can do? Uh, what would you like the community to know and what can we do to help you? So yeah, tr- transit, transit uh, workers are essential workers. They are, you know, they're in the tier two of actually getting the vaccine uh, for COVID. Um, and you know, our, our main goal is, you know, we need these passengers and everybody on the bus to follow directive 24 by governor Sisolak and wear a mask. Um, we want to make sure that everybody's protected, not just, you know, our members that are driving those buses, but we want those passengers protected that are on that bus as well. So we can flatten the curve and slow this virus down. And, and this cannot happen without all of us doing our part to making sure that we are being responsible and wearing the mask while we're out in public away from our homes. Yeah, definitely. And if something we really try to push on this show is that labor needs its community and communities need labor that it's it, it's a collective effort and um as workers we have to have each other's backs and whatever sector it happens to be in whether it's drivers whether it's in the service industry whether it's at a grocery store as a community member you have a responsibility to take care of each other and uh, especially the people who are on the clock <laughs> so is there anything else Absolutely. is there anything else gary that you'd like to uh share with listeners plug whatever you'd like Wear a mask, be safe, let's all stay healthy, and let's get over this virus. Excellent. Well, Gary Watson, president of Teamsters Local 533, thank you so much for your time, um, and thank you for appearing on General Strike Radio. Uh, greatly appreciate um, your everything you've told us, your, your advice, and um, just wanted to make sure that we gave the struggle um, that's being experienced by the drivers at the, the for the RTC and the Keolis uh, contractor for Washoe. Um, just want to make sure this got out there. Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. I really appreciate your time and doing this interview, too. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye. All right. That was Gary Watson, president of Teamsters Local 533. Um, and obviously, you you heard it. Um, wear a mask and keep yourself up to date with what's going on as far as any industry in town um, <laughs> because – there's no guarantee that these businesses are going to conduct themselves appropriately, that they're going to protect workers, that they're going to protect customers. So as Gary said, uh, it's not just the drivers. It's also the people who are riding the bus. <laughs> it's, it's, it's you. So our interests as a, a class are connected. Anyway, um, this is, again, 97.7 K-Wink uh, Community Radio. You're listening to General Strike Radio, and I thought it would be appropriate to play us out with uh, <laughs> The Ghost of Tom Joad by Rage Against the Machine, covering uh, Bruce Springsteen. And uh, in these times, we should all aspire to be Tom Joad. So go out and read Grapes of Wrath. And uh, keep in mind, um, your fellow workers, so solidarity.
with the ghost of Tom Jones.